You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 8.55am listeners. And also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. You're with Lizzie, Jimmy and Britt. Hello. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Britt. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be in the studio. Absolutely, it is. A first time for you, Britt. It is. I'm very excited and a little yeah. bit nervous. And my first time on the buttons, so I am very nervous. <laughs> I think you'll do a fantastic job, Jimmy. We'll see, we'll see. You're fresh out of that training, so I'm sure we'll have a great night tonight. It's just after 6pm, listeners, on Tuesday the 4th of April 2023. But we will start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the right, original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. We pay our respects to elders past and present. We also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So for today's show, in amongst the big headlines, it can be easy to miss some of the smaller changes to law and policy that can also have a big impact on the lives of ordinary Australians. Social security law is a very complex area of law and although it's been in the media a lot recently about robo-debt, there have been a number of other changes that may affect lots of people. But we're not going to get that are not going to get a lot of airplay in the mainstream media. Tonight, one organisation that has its finger on the pulse of these important issues is Economic Justice Australia, the peak organisation for community legal centres providing specialist advice to people on their social security issues and rights. Yes, so tonight we're joined by Sarah Saka of the Law Reform, a Law Reform Officer at the EGA, Economic Justice Australia, who's going to chat to us about some of the big issues in social security law at the moment, including changes to the couples assessment, the AAT and the ongoing issues around robo-debt and automation. Uh, also, a trigger warning to listeners, we will be discussing family and domestic violence as well as Centrelink. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Great to have you. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much. Sarah, it's Lizzie, and I'm going to start with the questions tonight. Um, It is just really good to have you on air because we know that Economic Justice Australia have been working and advocating for a long time now in campaigning for improvements to Social Security and in particular of interest for us at the moment in this discussion is 
women who are impacted by family violence or victim survivors of family violence. A couple years back, Economic Justice Australia produced a massive document called Debt, Duress and Dobbins. And there were a lot of key findings of that report. So that leads us to um, some things that have been happening more recently. And one of those was in relation to some of the problems and challenges associated with assessing a relationship status in the context of domestic and family violence. Would you be able to talk to us about the issues around this and what has changed? Yeah, sure, Lizzie. So um, a bit of background first. In the social security system, when people um, try and apply for a payment through Centrelink, they're either going to get a single payment or a couple payments. And if you're in a relationship, you're assessed as not separate individuals, but as part of a singular unit. So Centrelink won't just look at your earnings, but it'll also look at your partner's income when determining whether you should get access to Centrelink. Uh, so that, that means you, you might have no money at all, but if your partner is earning more than $1,000 a week, you won't have access to Centrelink payments, um, which is different to, for example, how the tax system works, where yep. your partner's income is just not relevant to how your income is assessed for tax purposes. Uh, but Centrelink's different, um, and it's, this uh, approach is, is based on an assumption that couples are a financial unit and they share finances equally within their relationship. Uh, and this is flawed uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, <laughs> like one, we know one, that's not the reality of many people's lives, that exactly, they don't live off each other's income. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. It's out of date for how most couples operate. Um, but more importantly, it doesn't really account for relationships where there's um, a power imbalance. Yes. So if there's family violence uh, involved, it's really uh, common for that to manifest through financial abuse, which can uh, be, you know, one partner not providing any access to the joint finances at all or also controlling their access to Centrelink payments. Yeah. So that's the issue. And we have, uh, through the research that we've done that you've mentioned, we've collected some pretty harrowing examples. I'll just give you one to sort of illustrate what what this means for people in practice. Um, we had an example of a woman called Annabelle and she was forced to stop working because she fell ill and she was in a relationship that was violent and her partner didn't provide her access to any money whatsoever. She really wanted to leave and she wanted to escape, mm-hmm. but she just couldn't do it because she didn't have any funds and she wasn't eligible for uh, a single payment. Mm-hmm. So that, what, from that sort of scenario, you can see just how uh, this assessment of couples payment can lead to people being trapped in violent relationships. Yeah, and, and so effectively leaving her stuck in that relationship. And yeah, and totally, to yeah. totally dependent financially on her partner um, with with Social Security system indirectly, but kind of facilitating that. Um, and often it's women who, who are also uh, primary caregivers. So it's not just them that's affected, it's children too, and, you know, people struggling to get their children to safety. Uh, so... It's pretty bleak out there, but um, we're really pleased that we've had a little bit of a win in this space recently um, because there's a new policy that has come out 
that will soon be implemented uh, within Centrelink. And what what it will do is it will uh, instruct Centrelink officials to, um, when they're making an assessment about whether or not a person is a member of a couple for the purpose of this payment, they'll be instructed to consider whether family violence is a factor when they make the assessment. And the presence of family violence should indicate to them that it's not a couple relationship. Um, and another thing that the policy will do is that there's a, a special kind of discretion in the Social Security Act, Section 24, which enables uh, officials, if even if a couple technically meets the definition under the law, it's a special discretion that uh, allows officials to consider them uh, not to be a member of a couple for the purpose of, of the law. So that will also now instruct uh, decision makers to consider family violence when they exercise that discretion, which historically they haven't really done that in the past, even though technically that discretion has always existed. That sounds um, like a really positive kind of movement in uh, social security policy, Sarah. Like it's really quite significant because it's been so difficult up until now, um, which ends up where lots of people end up having to appeal um, or, you know, get left without money or you know, so that I'm I'm feeling very uh, buoyed by this change. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is just a change to policy. It would be great it would if it was in the law as well. But yes. absolutely, it will mean that the first the fir- the initial decision that's made um, will take into account family violence rather than people having to go you know get legal representatives and and you know challenge this through the AOTs and stuff like that to get those exemptions. It'll be uh, at least considered in the first instance by settling. And in implementing this policy, Sarah, what are officials being instructed to ask or what factors are they being instructed to take into account to work out whether family violence is a factor? Is it something that's going to rely on people self-identifying as being in a family violence situation or is the criteria going to be a bit broader than that? Um, so the criteria for a couple's assessment already includes a number of factors that Centrelink looks into when they're assessing uh, the, whether a person is a couple, so whether a couple is a couple. So um, that includes like their uh, whether there's a sexual re- relationship, whether their finances are linked, uh, the nature of the commitment to each other. So in the process of that, family violence will um, be thrown into the mix um, in terms of the specifics, I don't have the uh, specifics of what the evidence is for the policy itself, but I'd imagine it would be part of that process and self-identification would be an aspect of that. Mm. Great. And so so following from that, um, you're hoping there will be some legislative change as well. Is that what the end point is with that area? So we... Ideally, this would also be in the law. Yeah. The fact that it's in the policy in itself is great, but there's actually another area that we want law reform and that relates to debts, um, and I'm happy to talk about what we want to see there if, you, if you'd like me oh, to. Oh, absolutely. We were going to go into that, so we definitely want to go there. Okay, great. So, yeah, this 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 is an area where we actually do need law reform and where policy changes aren't really sufficient um, because at the moment, as the law currently stands, 
family violence victims can be held accountable for debts that were a direct result of, of what their perpetrator did. Um, and they could even be uh, criminally prosecuted for, for fraud um, because of things that their partner did. Um, so we, in our research, we've had examples of clients who didn't even know that they were receiving social security payments at all because their partner oh, kept wow, their payments hidden from them. Yeah. Yeah, and then they get slammed with the debt and they don't know why and, and they're liable for it. Um, we've also had an example, uh, a really horrible example of a woman uh, called Samira whose husband threatened to choke her to death if she didn't tell Centrelink that she was single and she was too scared to go to the police oh, and gosh. ended up facing uh, criminal prosecution. So this it's is really, really wrong, isn't it? It's like so wrong. It's so wrong. <laughs> It's so wrong, and it's clearly totally out of line with community expectations, especially yeah. since we've you know, come so far with our understanding of family violence, and there is all this political will to address family violence, which is great, but these kinds of archaic laws are still there on the books, um, and we need to get rid of them. Um, and the reason why this requires legal change is because the law itself, uh, the wording of the law says, that if a person knowingly makes a false statement to to Centrelink, so for example, if they say that they're in uh, that they're single when they're actually in a relationship, mm-hmm. that that it doesn't matter. If, it's not relevant if they were coerced, as long as they knowingly made the statement, they can be um, responsible. And it's also the case that if a if their partner knowingly makes a false statement to Centrelink, they can also be uh, caught up in that as well. So the wording of the law needs to change to yeah. take into account coercion and to take into account um, that partner involvement. Um, and it's actually a pretty simple fix. It's just really a few wording changes, and we've you know, drafted what we want to see. Um, it's just a matter of, of getting that, uh, that law reform actually happening. Um, yes. And, yeah, we're hope- what we're hoping is that um, recently, uh, not recently, last year, but the... the National Action Plan to End Violence Against Women now includes uh, social security income support as relevant to family violence, and there will be an implementation plan for that. So ideally, we want to see these legislative changes as a specific action in that plan and have a clear path towards uh, making that change. It's truly, truly awful stuff, and it's really fantastic to hear that an organisation like Economic Justice Australia are so as we said earlier, finger on the pulse about these Mm, issues. Absolutely. Um, Why don't we all take a quick breather while we go to a community service announcement uh, and we'll check back in in about a minute or so to to discuss some of the other amazing work that Sarah and her colleagues have been doing at Economic Justice Australia. We'll be back in a minute. Solidarity Salon, home of Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party, has moved to Reservoir. We are a socialist, feminist bookshop and organising centre eager to collaborate with a diversity of optimistic rebels. All gender identities welcome. We're at 113 Spring Street Reservoir near Regent Station. Drop in or get contact details at socialism.com. Solidarity Salon is a proud 3CR supporter. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. 
Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CR. We've been talking to Sarah Sacher of the Law Reform Officer at Economic Justice Australia about current issues in social security law. Sarah, Economic Justice Australia was very involved in the RoboDebt Royal Commission by giving detail of what was happening in Services Australia and the difficulties people were having when they had debts raised against them and the barriers put in front of people. Can you share a bit more about EJA's work in the Royal Commission? Yeah, sure. So uh, we uh, gave evidence to the Commission and we've also made a submission, um, which is available on our website if anyone's interested. Uh, And our community legal centres, our members are community legal centres, so they saw firsthand how people were traumatised by receiving robo-debt notices and all the barriers uh, that they subsequently faced trying to overturn them. I can give you a little bit of an illustration of what it's was like for people. Um, I, it might be a bit long, but I, I think it's worth it uh, just to show what it's like, what it was like for people to receive Okay, so imagine that you receive a notice from Centrelink out of the blue. It says that you owe a debt of thousands of dollars. You know that you had always declared your income faithfully and very carefully when you were on Social Security payments, so you don't know why the debt notice has arrived. The letter itself gives you no information about why the debt has arisen or how it was calculated. In order to uh, disprove this debt, you're instructed to provide payslips and bank statements that go back many years. But you had a string of casual jobs over a long period and you don't have most of those payslips available. So you call up Centrelink and you say there's been a mistake. Uh, The Centrelink worker can't give you an explanation either as to why there was a debt raised against you. They just tell you that you should pay it back. Uh, They might offer to put you on a payment plan. You instead ask to have your debt reviewed, but they tell you that you need your payslips first. Uh, So you don't have these, obviously, which is why you're calling in the first place. Uh, And because you're on Centrelink, there's a really good chance that you're uh, experiencing some kind of vulnerability. So you might have disability English might not be your first language, you might be homeless, you might not understand the letters you're receiving at all, and if you do, you might not have the time or the ability to collect payslips. You might not know who to call for help, Mm. you might not have access to technology, you might not have the skills to upload payslips and navigate Mm. the system, and you're also probably starting to get harassed by debt collectors that are sent by Centrelink. So if you manage to get help from a community legal centre, you're one of the lucky ones because they're totally overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, they might help you to get your debt overturned uh, through Services Australia, through Centrelink, or you can go to the AAT, the tribunal. Uh, it's a good chance that you actually will get your debt overturned if you do go to the tribunal because it was clearly unlawful, but that doesn't stop over debt from continuing on for a number of years. Uh, and all this obviously is incredibly stressful and traumatising. Yeah. We know, um, you know that we've seen commission evidence now that a number of people were actually driven to suicide mm. because of how awful this process was. So, you know, we we expect our institutions to be better than this. Um, we expect that our government respects the rule of law and we trust that there's safeguards in place. Uh, but the commission is just showing us that these safeguards were not in place and it allowed for this massive injustice to occur, uh, just a really unlawful and unfair and cruel uh, scheme. And um, 
Yeah, a key problem that has been highlighted by many is that what the Robinet scheme did is it reversed the burden of proof. So instead of Centrelink being responsible for providing proof that you that you had a debt, Robinet recipients just uh, had to prove themselves that the debt wasn't owed, and that's actually what made the scheme unlawful. And mm. hopefully you could sort of see from that example how difficult it is to, to disprove something when you don't actually have the, any information. Mm. I know we're meant um, to be all. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off there. No, Sarah. Go ahead. I just I know we're meant to be all happy on community radio, but this is infuriating. Yeah, like I, I I'm glad we put this trigger warning at the start of this show because I am feeling myself like having really really strong reactions to this kind of injustice. Yeah, it's awful stuff. Yeah, and what sticks out for me too, Sarah, is like I remember very much like back in 2017 when this started to really come out, and there were a lot of people trying to seek help or didn't know what was going on when they were receiving um, these letters and debt notices. And I'm a financial counsellor and what never made sense to me was that the that the uh, onus was on the recipient because with other debts, it's on creditors and financial institutions to prove a debt. So it, it just was like, how is it that these people have to prove that they don't owe a debt? Like, it just was crazy. Yeah, especially since Centrelink has the power to, to do that. They have the resources to, to prove the debt. And the, one of the more um, concerning aspects of all of this is that we're still seeing debt letters yeah. um, out there that Centrelink is putting out that don't provide information about the debt and people don't know how to get it reviewed because of that. So it, it's kind of ongoing. So is that part of um, some project work that you're moving into now at Economic Justice Australia? Yeah, so we, uh, we're really excited about this. We've got funding to make a, to do a dedicated project on the use of automation in social security systems generally beyond um, RoboDebt, uh, looking at the entirety of the system. Um, I can, you want, do you want me to tell you a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, so we, our partners on this project um, are Ed Santo, who uh, is a former Human Rights Commissioner and he now heads the Human Technology Institute at, at UCS, mm-hmm. and Professor Paul Henman, who is at the UQ Centre for Excellence in Automation. And they're working with us to develop a research report and it's going to draw primarily on the expertise of our member centres and focus primarily on the implications of automation for the most vulnerable people who are trying to access and navigate social security. Um, and as I said, it's going to look beyond robo-debt, so the debt letter issue that I mentioned, but there's all sorts of other automation uh, and automated decision-making within the social security system. Um, and really, robo-debt's just the beginning. It's widespread it's here to stay so we need to make sure that it's being done appropriately uh so for example if you're on job seeker you can have your payments uh automatically count automa- automatically suspended if you don't meet your mutual obligations for example um so we'll explore as much as possible what's uh what's going on within the social security system and there are like key issues that apply across the board for all automated systems, so uh, lack of transparency, really, really rigid processes, uh, human-centred services that are 
replaced by bots and apps and that kind of thing yeah. and just a real lack of system accountability. So that, that applies across the board as key risks with regard to automation. Um, and we'll look at all of that. And I think that ultimately it's not just going to be a project that looks at technology in isolation. We want to look at automation in the context of how the social security system operates as a whole and all the policies that underpin it. And it's a very particular policy context um, because Australia has this history of stigmatising welfare recipients and taking a really punitive approach to social security. So, uh, for example, Scott Morrison being the welfare cop, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and instead of viewing social security as a right uh, that should be accessible for people who need yes. it, we just instead take this really overzealous approach to compliance and view people as undeserving. Yeah. Uh, with you know, Riverdeck being being a great case study for all of this, and automated systems are introduced in this context, and they're usually introduced uh, to cut costs, and uh, and they're usually just seen as an administrative tool, but they can have really big policy and legal implications that if you're only focused on the financial aspect, you'll totally miss what the rights implications are. So we need the rights implications at the forefront of uh, these systems being introduced. And um, it's not it's not always the case. Like, I don't want this to sound anti-technology because it's not the case that all automation is bad and all use of automation in the social security system is bad. It's just that the use of technology currently is often bad because yeah. of how our policy environment operates. Mm. Uh, yep. And in another world, you know, it could be used to improve the system and to enhance mm. people's access to social security, uh, which would be great to see, and we'd love to explore some of that in the project too. Uh, so that's kind of an idea, and and I hope that it's uh, it's not it, the focus is on social security, but these kinds of issues are everywhere and our recommendations will hopefully be relevant to other administrative yep. systems the government uses. Yes, I can um, hear what you're leading to there, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say yes well, to that. Sounds like it could be, yeah, I mean, yeah, social security is so enormous. So any work that you're doing there could be spread across many institutions, particularly government sector ones. Yeah, and especially if... Uh, the focus, we hope that if the focus is on people who are vulnerable and systems are designed with that in mind, mm. that is good for everybody uh, in all contexts and in all government systems and beyond. Um, so we hope putting that at the forefront will uh, will lead to some improvements, uh, you know, in social security and potentially elsewhere too. Sarah, I feel like we could spend all night talking about mm -hmm, this stuff, course. and I'm sure you're not uh, sick of talking about it either, but we are unfortunately running out of time. So I will just say, if you are requiring assistance uh, for, with Social Security debts um, or Centrelink debts, you can contact Social Security Rights Victoria on 0394810355 for our Victorian listeners, or National Debt Helpline on 1800 007 007. Um, and if you are experiencing family violence, you should contact Safe Steps on 1800 015 188. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they are there for you if you need them. If you're in immediate danger, of course, please always contact 000. Um, it's been a really 
uh, great privilege to have you on, Sarah, from Economic Adjust- Justice Australia with us today. Thank you again, Sarah, for sharing your time, your expertise, your insights and your infuriating stories as well as all the hard work that you guys are doing to change the system that is and making sure that there's still a human in the Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we can have you come back and talk about something else, another aspect of social security, Sarah, because it's just such an enormous area of law. So I hope um, that can be in the near future. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great. So thank you to our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of Done By Law. Um, We'll be back next Tuesday. But to end the show, uh, we've got a special song. Liz, would you like to speak to it? Uh, Yes. So um, we've chosen this song today as a um, tribute to to Jamara Ugelhagen, who is a Western Bulldogs player. I saw him at the game last week after uh, the previous week where racial slurs were thrown at him um, and he himself um, did a tribute to Nicky Winmar from St Kilda uh, by raising his jumper and showing the colour of his skin. And the song that we're going to play was a tribute to Nicky Winmar that um, the lovely Archie Roach, um, late Archie Roach, uh, wrote for Nikki Winmar 30 years ago in 1993 called Colour of Your Jumper. And uh, Archie was a, um, a very much a, a member of 3CR Radio as well. So thanks for being with us, listeners, and I hope you enjoy this song. been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855am, streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on all various podcast platforms. Thanks for tuning in. I remember when I was a lad, kicking a foot around my backyard, me and the cousin, tried to keep it going. What a time we had, oh we played real hard. Best game in the world, young and old. It's my football team. Yeah, my football team. Putting down a player is trying to put him off his game. Oh, my football team. Yeah, my football team. Come over and play a game Kicking the ball off the house And off the car When we start to play You know I went insane Cause I thought I was a football star And everybody came to see me and fall me and my football team yeah my football team I'm putting down a player is trying to put him on
color of your jumper, not the color of your skin. Here is the color of your jumper, not the color of your skin. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.